John chapter 8. One of those passages in Scripture that if you're a new Christian, it won't take you long to find this verse because you'll either hear it or you'll read it. It'll come up somewhere. John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. Then Jesus said to those Jews that believed on Him, those saints in Shelbyville and wherever else saints are, He said, If you continue in My Word, then are you My disciples indeed or truly. If you continue, if you stay with, not just listen to it and go where you can hear it, but if you live it, then you're His disciples. And... As a part of that, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Praise God for that. Because I don't care how bound any of us were in our yesteryears, in the previous life we had prior to coming to Christ. don't care how bad or deep it was. Jesus said this, Every man, every woman can be made free. You can really enjoy peace and serenity and a joyful walk in this life if you do it God's way. If you will set yourself to hear what God is saying and then set yourself to do it. And you live it. Because that's what is meant by knowing. Knowing is not something academic. You go to a classroom to acquire. But it's knowledge that has an effect upon your life. It has a profound effect upon your life because we're talking about changing your life. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Now, it's evident to all of us that lots of Christians are not free. You can tell by the way they live, the way they talk, the things they discuss is really important to them, their fears, their uncertainties about tomorrow, don't know what they're going to do about this, don't know what they're going to do about that, or they're living a life without answers. They're not free. There's a certain kind of bondage that goes with that. And when you begin to seek answers or relief from something other than the Lord, that door is reopened back to bondage. I didn't say you were lost. I just said you engage yourself in a bound life all over again. The title of the message, just as number eight, is Living Liberated, because that's what the word free means in John 8:32. It means to be liberated, to be set free. But you've got to stay free. You have to stay free. Somebody's got to tell you that. You've got to believe that. Staying free involves doing what God said the way God said to do it. Otherwise, the verses of Scripture says we're not to give place to the devil. Well, he's shrewd and he's clever. He's a deceiver. He puts thoughts in your mind about things that he wants you to do, that if you do it, it'll lead you astray. That's what deceive means. And when you are led astray, you're led off that path where grace and mercy met you, and you go back into a place where there's nothing there. Just the same old stuff the world copes with. There's pills and drugs and anything else to get your mind off of your problems. And a lot of Christians live like that. They talk about what they're afraid of. They talk about all these things that they hope this doesn't happen. I don't know what I'm going to do. They've been in church for 20 years, and they say, I don't know what to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I just don't know what. And it's like I have no answers to life. Well, that's the way it was in the other life. Before Christ, we were bound. We were owned by fears and uncertainties. We were victims of being unsettled. We were in a land where there was no solution. There was no answer. 
only thing we had was what the world could offer us. We had no freedom. We come to the Lord, and at least I can say this, I'm sure many others can too, once the eyes were open and began to taste and see that the Lord is good, you wanted more of it, and the more you got, the better it got. And you come to a place, as we all should, when you arrive at a time later in your life, a matured <laughs> setting when you're getting a little older, you should be free from bondage. You shouldn't be afraid of anything. He's either delivered you from all your fears, or you're still afraid of this. You're afraid of sickness. You're afraid of diseases or accidents. And you live with certain kinds of apprehensions. You shouldn't. You've been given something to relieve you from that. It's yours. It belongs to you. But see, we have to keep ourselves liberated. That's what this message is all about. First thing we mentioned was you've got to guard your mind. That's where it all begins, within your mind, in your thinking. As a man thinketh, so he is. The devil having put into the heart or the mind of Judas is carried Simon's son to betray him, and Judas began to dwell on that thought. He didn't have to. That's just the way the devil works. Why wouldn't the devil do that? And he got him to bite and take the bait, and therefore he gained entrance into Judas's life, and Judas did what he did and died the way he died. Because the devil comes to kill and to steal and destroy. He knows his legal rights. He knows when you give place to him that he has a right to some aspect of your life. He knows that. And we have to resist the devil, and if we do, he'll flee from us. We have to be cautious, circumspect, sober. He's going about like a roaring lion. We have to take heed to what we've heard. We have to be careful and be cautious. All because if we're not, then bondage can find us again. you got to guard your mind. Second thing you have to guard is your mouth or your words. Because out of the abundance of the heart, Jesus said, the mouth speaks. And by your words you shall be justified in Matthew 12. And by your words you shall be condemned. You have to be careful what you talk about. Christians, many, most aren't. But you should be. Because somebody, actually there's two parties that are listening to everything you say. God does, and the devil does. And he stands in Revelation 12 to accuse the brethren. What does he accuse the brethren of? Probably how they live or what they say, choices they make, especially what you say. You have to be careful. Speak what God gives you to speak. That's what the word confession means. And the third thing we mentioned is you have to guard your faith. That's the one weapon that supersedes all other weapons in your repertoire. A French word like Chevrolet, you know. In your repertoire of weapons, that's what you use to fight with. It's the ultimate weapon. It's the one many have abandoned through the years because, well, they thought that was for them. But it has never gone away. You resist the devil firm in your faith. It's faith that brings the victory. Because faith is, in definition, faith is simply taking God at His Word, living as though it's true, acting like if He said it, then it's done. Expecting God to do what He said, that's what a faithful man does. And that's one thing the devil cannot defeat, faith. That's why the devil seeks to turn us away from the faith, if he can, to tell you that it won't work. 
Well, I've heard that before, but I've never seen any evidence of it. Well, they talk about miracles and stuff. I've never seen it. Or really bad diseases or situations. I've never seen it fixed. So I don't know about all of that. And so they abandon their faith and go back to what is practical, what is reasonable, and what is sensible, which is the world's way of dealing with anything. See, there's no absolutes in the world, but the Bible is full of it. God always does what he says. The world says, well, what was done one time may not be done this time. God spoke that back in a different age, and that won't work today. But that's a lie. But why wouldn't the devil lie to you? All he wants to do is gain entrance and access to your life so that he can turn you away from where you should be to where he wants you to be. Fourth thing we mentioned about keeping yourself liberated, living that way, last week was to watch or guard your associations, who your inner crowd is, who you run around with, who you divulge your secrets to or your personal life to who you spend time with and and enjoy fellowship with, who your really true friends are. You have to be careful because a wrong crowd can lead you into bondage. Remember 1 Corinthians 15? We mentioned that. There were two verses last week. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33 says, Be not deceived. Don't be misled here. Bad company or evil companions corrupt Good morals. Morals is a word from which ethics comes from, ethos. And bad company will corrupt you doing the right thing. It's just the fact that people can influence you to do something you should not do and influence you in such a way that it's not such a big deal. I mean, after all, the devil talks that way. He says, after all, you think you're going to hell because of this. He makes it that way so that you can do a lot of little things and it's not eternal. You know, the damage is not forever. It's just, well, you know, nobody's perfect. Come on, give me a break. That's the way the devil talks to deceive a lot of people. And that kind of deception often comes to whom you align yourself with as friends. Because the Bible warns us about it. If it couldn't happen, then there would be no reason for the Lord to warn us about that. In 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 through 18, you know, come out from among them and be separate and touch not the unclean thing. God says, and I will receive you. So he's talking about touching unclean things in the context of coming out from among them. And he mentions who them are in that section of Scripture. Unbelievers, the unrighteous. He asked the question in there, what fellowship does right have with wrong? You who say you walk in light and have light, and the friend you want to have as a close friend has no light, what possible fellowship could you have unless you give up your light to talk in his darkness? And when you do, he has brought you down to where he is. You didn't bring him up to where you thought you could. He brought you down. You have to be careful. You have to be discerning. And a lot of Christians aren't. They should be, and they could be, but they're not always that way. God warned us in the Old Testament. He said in Numbers 33 and verse 15, But if you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come to pass that those which you let remain among you, they shall be pricks in your eyes, thorns in your sides, and shall vex you in the land wherein you dwell. The principle that's carried over into the New Testament is that there are people you should avoid. You can't avoid being around people in the world. 
but there are people you should avoid as being in close contact with. They're just people that you should not align yourselves with other than being in the same world, breathing the same air. Because of the danger. God said it. I didn't say it. He said, if you don't drive out all these inhabitants and the land of Canaan, we'll call it then, was filled with all kinds of ites and icks. Moabites, Hivites, Hittites, Gergesites, Jebusites. They were everywhere in that land, different clans of them. They were all Canaanites, but they were different clans. And they were so corrupt that when God led them to that place, he said, now here's what you got to do. When you go into the land, you got to remove all these people, all of them, all of them. Let none remain. Because if you do, they will corrupt you. If you decide, well, come on, I mean, this is an age of love. I mean, if today they would say, well, don't you think we can win them by just loving them? God said, destroy them. Well, come on, we can do better than that, can't we? A lot of people today think they can do better than God. When God says, separate yourself, they say, well, how can we win them if we separate from them? I'm going to show them how much I love them, and I'm going to hang in there with them. Right. So you really know more about how to deal with life than God does. God's Word is outdated to a lot of people, and it doesn't have that component of passion and love in it. So they set it aside. But God said, destroy them all. And he said, if you don't, they will vex you. And they vexed them so much that God had to send... Well, first the Assyrians on Israel, and then the Babylonians came down and hauled away all those in Judah. And God said about them before they hauled them away, He said, The people in the land you're in have so corrupted you that you are worse to me than they were. Now, that's what wrong fellowship does, wrong kind of crowd around you. In Joshua, he said the same thing. He said, they shall be snares and traps unto you and scourges in your side and thorns in your eyes. I think Paul described them when he's talking about his thorn in the flesh because everywhere he went, there were these people that were trying to dissuade people he was preaching to and harass him. They became thorns in your sides and so forth. Now, I didn't get finished last week. We mentioned just those two things and talked about that. Today, I want to do part two, which is not as long. So maybe we'll have a shorter meeting this morning. And all the little kids said, Amen. All right. But part two, I announced last week this. There are two notable effects of wrong associations. Now, there are more than just two. But two that I want to take note of this morning is the fact that wrong associations corrupt you. I want to go into that more. Corrupt you. And secondly... There will be loss of blessings in your life. I'll say this because I know it's true. God wants to bless all of his people. And we should all have a testimony of the Lord blessing us in more than just saving me. That's great. That's the best of all. But having saved you, he opens up to you a wonderful world of blessings. But you have to walk in his light. Because there are people that are going to come try to get into your life that can rob you of those things. Because they'll corrupt you. Let's take corruption first. The word corrupt, as we saw in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, the Greek word corrupt means, among several smaller definitions, it means to bring to a worse state. To bring to a worse state. Now, if I'm in a good state, I'm growing. I got saved. I don't know everything. 
My life with God is a walk. It's a daily walk. I'm growing daily from glory to glory and so forth. So there's a progression here. I didn't just get saved and suddenly I know everything or I'm totally free of everything that I've got to deal with. I'm free in the eyes of God. Legally, I am. I've got to deal with stuff, but I don't know what to deal with until He opens my eyes. That's why I need knowledge. And so I come to the Lord, and I'm to walk in this free walk, and I have a certain amount of liberty that I'm experiencing walking with the Lord. I'm beginning to enjoy this. I'm getting loose from the, the fear of praise and worship, and I'll be, we'll deal with that too. And, and so I begin to get to where I can clap my hands or worship God. I was bound by religious spirits before this. So there's a kind of relief that's coming and freedom is coming and an enjoyment of God. Now, to lead me to something worse would lead me back to where I was. Something that would make me not worship or not praise. Can you remember any of you the first time you raised your hand in church? I can. I didn't get it very high, but I got it up there. I maybe scratched my nose or my ear while it was going up there, but I wanted to. But my fear was the people that I'm in church with, the people behind me that would take issue with the fact that you would do this. You know, the Bible says you should. Well, we don't do that here. And so because of that spirit that hovers over that kind of a meeting, you just didn't do it. You have to have what the world calls a breakthrough today. Sometimes you just have to obey God and just do it. Those things happen. But we're beginning getting free. But corruption means that you're led to a worse state. You were brought to a place of blessing. And by corruption, you are brought to a place where the blessing ceases. It's not good. All you have is a book full of verses of Scripture, people giving testimonies about it, and you're empty. Something's wrong. And maybe it is your companions or who you're running around with and so forth. Any kind of so-called association which you have with anybody, your buddies, who you spend time with, run around with, stay in their house, they stay in your house, close friends, any kind of people you have are going to influence your life. They're going to influence you in some way or the other. They will either encourage you as Christians should and edify you and build you up as Christians do. Or they will cause you to kind of suppress your Christian enthusiasm because that might offend them. And at that point, you're being corrupted. In a biblical sense, you are being corrupted. You've got to be serious about a number of things. Let me list a few things here this morning about associations. Let's begin with one of the most obvious, and that would be the dating, courtship, boy-girl, I put all those in quotations because I don't know that God in His Word has given us the freedom to do that today. There's not very many youngsters today that can just let the Lord bring into their life who will be their companion of life. They feel compelled. They have to go find one. They get ahead of God, and sometimes they don't find it turns out to be a very good one. And they wish they had never found that person, wish they had never even knew them. Because, you see, God has a better way of doing all of that. But what is displayed in our society today amongst young folks, and that's mostly who is doing this, what is portrayed today amongst young folks is all kinds of dating and courtship and running around, and it gets to the extreme of sleeping together and having 
parties in which are so immoral that we couldn't even mention it here. And that's kind of what youngsters, a lot of them do today. Not all of them, of course, praise God. But a lot of them do, and it seemed like the few that do that get the press and get the get heard about. And it seemed like the smile on their face and the bright teeth and all that. It seemed like that's what's the most fun. That's what we ought to do. So they like to get out and kind of emulate that. And now in that sense, your desire to be like them is going to corrupt you. It's going to bring damage into your life. It's going to be a flaw in a relationship you'll have someday. And boys and girls run around and with this one and then that one and then this one and then that one. And then one day they think they want to get married. That same kind of a runaround spirit still exists. And a lot of them think, well, if this marriage doesn't work, I'll dump this sucker and get me another one. Or I'll dump this thing and get me another man. And after all, look around. Isn't everybody doing it? I mean, it's, it's approved of in the church. The church okay with that. Well, they are. If you want to marry 10 times, the church isn't going to tell you you can't. Well, that's your business. And you learn how to do that because of this dating game, this association with the world's system and the world's way of interaction and which leads to, which leads to, and which leads to. I think that if a young lady and a young man are going to be Christian and live a life that God sets before them to live, you're going to have to make some difficult decisions. You get persecuted for them. You're going to be talked about because of them. Well, you're a dope. All of that's there in front of you because there's so little of God's way in the hearts of so many kids today that you don't see much of doing things God's way, of believing for a mate and then letting God bring it into your life and having the attitude, well, you know, if he doesn't, if he doesn't, I am going to heaven and I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm not going to serve the Lord because I'm getting a husband. I'm going to serve the Lord because he saved me or a wife. My life is not bound to romance. Yes, that's supposed to be a part of it with most everybody. But I'm not going to live for that. I'm not going to quit God for that. I'm not going to act saved in order to get that. I'm not going to deceive anybody by thinking, oh, just so I can win some boy or some girl. I'm just going to give my heart to the Lord and, and walk with Him and serve Him and do what He wants. Let it be. Because you see, if you don't, is it possible to marry the wrong person today? I wonder how many men and women that have married wrong and had marriages end up in divorce or worse. How many of them could say, you know, I wish we had never met because I have had nothing but a nightmare for this and they named this. And, of course, there's always two sides to every story. Nobody is totally innocent. Not usually. Let me tell you what you could have done and what I would encourage all of you here and whoever listens, whoever. As a young lady, draw a line. Draw up your standards. This is a line... And a young man says, these are the qualifications. If I'm going to have the company of a young man or a young lady for whatever reason, they will have to be saved. I'll have to be convinced that they're saved. I'm not going to just believe it because they said it. I guess if I wanted to know if Isaac here was saved, I'd ask his buddies or his mother or his dad. I mean, if you want to know if I'm saved, don't ask me. Ask my wife. Because some people know you better than anybody, and then they can tell you if you really are or not. Okay, they're going to have to be saved. Oh, he's so cute. He's out. 
He ain't cute when you're mad. I'll guarantee you that. None of them are cute when you're really upset and he ain't home when he should be and you're left alone. And none of them are cute. They're all ugly. You got to be spirit filled. Tongues talkers. Little, 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 little. Tongues talkers. If he's not filled with the Holy Ghost, I'd say, why aren't you? Are you afraid of what people think? I'm not. We're not on the same page. If I'm going to engage, I'm going to let myself get serious about it. I'm going to draw a line. This is my standard. You've got to be saved. You've got to be spirit-filled. The activities of your life have to be moral. If you go out with me and you start staring at me like, I'm going to kiss you right in the mouth. That's it. We're done. No. No, sir. And if he wants to try to hold you, know, no. Because no Christian young man, he would draw his line too. I will not do anything like that until I am, mm, help me, married. That's it. Because I don't need to do that before I'm married. That does not belong to courtship. It belongs to a husband and a wife. It has a design and a role in their relationship with each other. And I don't need to do that, don't need to practice, don't need to try to shoe on and see if it fits. I just need to trust God, and I'm not going to be around any immoral boy. If I get in the car and the music on his car is his hat on backwards, we're done. You think I'm kidding you, I mean that with all my heart, we're done. If that's what's influencing your thinking, that's what's influencing your relationship to me, and I don't think you're sincere. you got to get rid of all that stuff. Fourthly, there's got to be a measure of deliverance in his life so that the things that all boys or girls do, he or she doesn't do that. She's off limits to some of this stuff, and he's off limits to the attempt to do all of those things. That's just four things I could mention that you draw the line. Fifthly, they have to be in a meeting. They have to attend church. Somewhere in a house, in a building, or a member, or a part of a group, somewhere. They're not just the Lone Ranger somewhere. They're involved with somebody because interaction in the church is forbidding not the assembling of yourself together with others. It's biblical. And so, it's just my little standards because you might meet some really the cutest young man that ever lived and the prettiest girl that has ever breathed there at some camp. And you base, whoa, like that. That may not be whoa later on. I don't mean you need to go up to somebody and pull your list. I say, okay, before we talk, <laughs> before we have a conversation, you go to church, you talk in tongues, you've been delivered, are you moral? Well, the answer is yes. Of course, darling. I mean, uh, uh, ma'am, of course I am. You just need to realize that you belong. Listen to me, all you young folks. You belong by your will. You willingly did this. You belong to God. Your house, the tabernacle that you're in, is not a playground. It belongs to God. He requires you to maintain it, to protect it, and to keep it. He requires you to surrender your will to His in all things, which it includes your future and your body. 
Now, when you get away from that, when you get away from principles that God teaches in the Word, your door is opened to corruption. That's why it's so easy to go back and do some of the things you used to do and say, well, that's just your opinion, because that's the effect of corruption. You've been led to think like that because you've given in here and you've given in here, and now there's a certain kind of conviction you don't want in your life. So you say, well, that's just your opinion. Because the one thing this world hates and dreads more than anything else, the one thing that society hates, this society in this world, in this country, dreads more than anything is guilt. Guilt. Guilt is that emotion that says you deserve punishment. You're wrong. Or you're guilty. And guilt is the one thing that you cannot escape. Are you all hearing me? You can put drugs in your body to alter your thinking so you can be somebody else. But when you come back, you're still guilty. Now you're worse off. And it's an unending cycle that leads to death. Guilt. The fact that you in your mind and in your heart have zero peace because you know your lifestyle is wrong. Look at the richest people in the world, how sad they look. Look at some of the most famous people you'll find around. They're so sad. They got money. They got fame. They got all this stuff. But they have no peace because their God is the God of this world. The Bible says that Jesus bore your guilt. So you could have peace. He said, my peace I give to you. And peace belongs to the people that God has brought to himself and saved. You're free from all the past. Don't go back to it. Or as Jesus said, lest a worse thing come upon you. If you've been set free, stay free. If you've wandered back, let's say you're in here this morning and you backslid. I'm glad you're here because you can front slide this morning. You can repent if your heart's there. But this business today of so many young people that are corrupting themselves and polluting themselves. One of the verses in the Bible about the world and our relationship to it, he says that pure religion is that we've visited the widows and the fatherless in their afflictions and to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. Now, hopefully you're maturing. You're not here because he's here or she's here, but you're here because God brought you here and you're learning something. And if the things you're learning becomes a conviction, then it becomes the only way that you can live. Anything else brings that guilt thing back. If we confess our sins, he'll forgive us and so forth. But God wants you to live a convicted life. You gotta have moral convictions. You gotta have certain convictions. I do not want somebody who is a joke to be the father of my children. I don't want to marry somebody who is helpless to be the mother of my children. I want to make sure that what I raise in this world, I'll have somebody to help me raise my children to be citizens in the kingdom of God. Look what happened to Solomon. You ever heard of Solomon? Second Kings eleven. Just for a moment, 2 Kings 11. He loved women, loved many women, the Bible says. I guess a lot of people would envy him. Had many wives. I don't. 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 4. It talks about how Solomon's wives turned his heart away from the Lord. 
and you read through those four or five verses, Solomon's love and his desire for beautiful women and women turned his heart away from the Lord. And if you go past verse 9 and look in verse 14, And the Lord stirred up an adversary unto Solomon. I don't think Solomon was better off at the end of his life than he was at the beginning. He had to have it his way. Didn't matter what the priest told him or what the Bible said. Not to have many wives and accumulate a lot of gold and silver, but oh no, he's free, he thought. And he married all of these pagan women and their pagan gods and he allowed that. Because that's what happens. When you give in a little bit, you give in a little more. And she can start that, you don't love me. And he weakens to that. And then next thing you know, the devil's in his house. When the devil gets in his house, he starts rubbing his hands to see in how many different ways he can corrupt your life and make you miserable. And all them beautiful girls made his life miserable. Turned him away from God. And the Bible says the Lord stirred up an adversary against Solomon. Do you suppose... God stirred up an adversary to Solomon because of his wives? Well, then, if that's true, then we need to be careful about things like this. I can see all of you young people here. I would like to be able to say that when, if I officiate a marriage, if I do, I'd like to be able to know that whoever I'm looking at has kept themselves pure. That that you may now kiss your bride is the first kiss. I would like to think that there is enough moral conviction in the difference that God makes with spirit-filled young people that they would trust God and do it His way. I'd like to think that. And you don't have this craving for romance. Quit watching the stuff that feeds that or reading the junk that feeds that or talking to people that talk like that. If the person you're hanging around is talking about, he's so cute and boy, he can do and all, Quit! Say what you need to say about that. That's not what we should be talking about. I don't want to hear. And leave. You say, well, wouldn't that be offensive? I'm sure it would be offensive. you got to have a boundary here. you got to draw a line. I'm not telling everybody to agree with me this morning. I'm here to tell you what I believe the Lord is saying. You do with it whatever you want to. But this is what I believe. Half the marriages in churches are ending up in divorce. Half of them. Now, something's wrong. Amen. Thank you. A second thing with associations you can find yourself getting bound to get is through the organizations that people join themselves to. Secret orders, lodges with religious overtones. I don't want to mention all of them. I thought of a bunch of them this morning, but many of these lodges and clubs and organizations have secret passwords and handshakes or they have secret initiations and you begin to align yourself as brothers or whatever in the fellowship with people that are oftentimes unregenerate. This is not good for you to have your loyalty to an organization at the expense of your loyalty in the church, which says you're not to do that. And the reason a lot of people join those things because daddy was in it or my brother was in it or an uncle was in it or my classmates in school or my good buddies were in it or a business associate's in it. And, you know, I want to keep my fellowship with them going and show them that, you know, my Christianity doesn't make me separate from you. (laughs) 
And so they think that's the right way to do it. They do that, and next thing you know, their testimony goes downhill. They sit around and finally give in to drinking a beer with these guys, talking about this and about that that they shouldn't talk about and railing against the government and stuff like that people talk about. No wonder them you try to go to church the next morning, you can't hardly get your hands up to praise and your singing is not robust anymore. You've been corrupted by a choice you made to have as your special friends, people like that. Or business partner, maybe a third day. Maybe it's a business associate, somebody you grew up with. And we're going to start a business together and he really knows how to do the one part and I'm pretty good at the other. And we're going to have a, a business together. And because he's not a Christian and he's not spirit-filled and not a lot of things you should require, here's a guy that'll cut corners, that'll lie to his customers, that'll cheat on his income taxes and deceive this and cut short this and deny that or not record that. And he's aligned with you and you're a part of what he's doing. That's why I've said about political parties. I wouldn't align myself with a political party today, especially if they vote for, they're in favor of, things like abortion, sex education in the school. There's one particular party that dearly loves all of that, promotes all of that, and really wants that. And if I had once signed up to vote and do all that kind of stuff and I was in that party, I'd get out of it pretty quick. Now, my buddies and associates might say, oh, yeah. I say, look. I say, well, what party are you going to be in now? I think the party I'm going to be in now is the SAID party. Where's the headquarters of that? Heaven. Who are you going to vote for? Jesus. I'm not required to do all those other things. I'm just saying that when the Bible says come out and be separate, I have to take that serious. There is a penalty you pay. You may not realize it, may not even know it, but there's a penalty you pay when you deny the Lord. When you, in doing things your way, you're not doing things His way. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. I don't know how many friends I have lost through the years because I'm so narrow. And I'm, I hope I am. I hope they're all right. But there's times I have drawn my line. I can't do that. I won't sign that. I won't go there. I will not participate in that. I'm going to be a part of that. Sometimes people hear about that and they talk about you and say things to other people about you. But why wouldn't the devil do that? He wants you to cave in and give in to that and do it so they'll think you're not like that. I don't want to be in a business situation with somebody that I can't trust. I'm somebody who has no spiritual leanings and no moral teaching. I don't want to be in something like that. Or fourthly, I don't want my pastime associates to be somebody that I couldn't trust. I wouldn't want to sit in a boat all day fishing with somebody that's cussing, telling jokes. Had three beers already, and I'm going to have to order this thing back to the house if he keeps doing that. That's who people in society see as who my friends are. I can't avoid being in the world. We're all in the world. We work with people that aren't saved. We're around people that aren't saved. We buy and sell from people. That are... The world's full of unsaved people. Like Paul said, you'd have to go out of the world to not be around people. But you don't have to choose all those people to be your friends. Even in a family, there are members of the family who think you're all whacked up because you're in some cult. I don't avoid them. 
We have their meals together and I'm invited. I've, nah, my family's gone now. I'm the last one, but so I'm making this up. I don't have to agree with all that they talk about. I don't have to stay there and linger half the night. I don't have to say, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right when I don't think they're right. I, I don't want to do that either. I don't even want to get in a situation where I'm in such bad company that I have to think of everything somebody's saying and then think of how I should respond to it. I want to be with brothers. I want to be with somebody who knows what he believes and believes what I believe. We believe alike. We may not believe every specific thing alike, but we're on the same page. These are my friends. And I've been in hunting camps before on hunts where you go with a brother and you meet somebody and you go to the tent 20 miles out in the Rocky Mountain wilderness somewhere up in Montana once. Beautiful country, but the thing you dread is the mealtime. Because you and your buddy, your hunting friend that you went with, are the only ones in the whole camp that believe in God. Well, they all believe in God. Everybody believes in God. We're the only ones that are serving the Lord. I'm not talking about people that are bad and ugly with slobber coming out of their mouth. <laughs> like I'm just talking about ordinary, normal people who just don't have any heart for the Lord. And I expect them to talk the way they talk. I expect them to, to think the way they think and to do what they do. I just don't want to do it around me. I would not choose him to come over and have dinner with me tonight. I wouldn't. I don't need that. I want to guard my life and guard my associations carefully. I do. I give a lot of room to a lot of things. You know, my neighbor across the street who doesn't believe in the Lord, he comes over and he wants to talk about how my corn's growing or how my tractor's running or is my dog okay? Fine, I talk to him, yeah. If he gets in trouble, I'll go help him out. I mean, we are Christians. We do have a testimony to the world out there that we are who we are. But at the same time, I want him to know that I won't bend. I have a testimony. I have a way of life. I've got to live it. If he says, well, will you do this or that and maybe something I shouldn't do? I just say, no, I can't do that. Why not? Well, because my convictions are that the Bible teaches we shouldn't. And I couldn't tell him where it says that because he wouldn't know if such a book was in the Bible. Matthew 6 says, where? He wouldn't want me to read that to him. They don't want to hear it. They don't want you to live that way because you bring their guilt to the surface. So I try to avoid them. I cannot always avoid people. I just don't have people like that as the people who are closest to me in my life. How about ministerial associations? I've been accused of that, you know, of being a standoffish, independent in the ministerial alliance committee <laughs> or whatever. In any city, the ministerial alliance is all the preachers come together for the common good. I've never been a part of that. I'm not against all those men. I'm really not. I just know that we're not believing the same things the same way. Because you hear things through the years that a certain minister to a certain church believes that you're nuts, you're crazy, that your church is on the borderline cult, and that we want to have a ministerial alignment where we get together and sing kumbaya. I really can't do that. I don't think he doesn't mean well. He probably does. He probably thinks if we can all get together, then the whole community will see that we're in unity with each other. Until Sunday morning. And then... This one says this, and this one says that, and this one says this, and this one says that. Here's the problem with me and other preachers. I don't have very many preacher friends. Eventually, our differences are going to separate us.
It's just a matter of time. This one doesn't believe the Lord is coming in a rapture. This one does. Now, when you first get together to drink coffee and shake hands, how you doing? Eventually, we're going to talk some more, and eventually, he's going to bring it up. Or he's going to know why I believe in tongues. Speaking in tongues. That's in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 14. It's still in there. And he'll want to know why I believe in that. Or the big one, why you believe in divine hell? Why is it you don't do Christmas? Do you see all the things I've got to defend myself with? And all my best answers will never. Well, maybe I shouldn't say my wife used to get on me about saying ever, never. But unlikely. <laughs> highly unlikely that my testimony is ever going to change any minister because he was hired to be who he is and he's paid to be who he is. He cannot change or he'll lose his job and he knows it. As I told a minister, Don Wake, years ago, you hang around me, that church will fire you. I think he thought that was, <laughs> you guess you think you're that big. I ain't that big at all. This is a small town. The one you're living in is smaller. Word travels fast. You hang around Hamilton, then you're one of them. What was he? Well, they voted him out as a gas Midas. They didn't know what charismatic was, so they thought it was gas might or something like that. So they voted this Baptist preacher out of his pulpit because he was a gas Midas. Now, let me ask you something. What fellowship do we have? You know I'm wrong, but you don't know what it is that I do. I'm a gas Midas, a what? You know, those tongue talkers. Well, it is in the Bible, yeah, but it ain't what it means. Well, what does it mean? Well, I ain't going to tell you then all we do is have a conflict. I've already been here once, been through this once, and I walked away from it years ago and I said, I'm done with it. A bunch of guys get together, preachers, and they're going to do this and do that. I got out of a meeting one time with my closest friends. They were getting into something that I couldn't be a part of. I don't want even to be known that I'm a part of this. I got up and said, boys, I'm out. They're sitting around the table. I say eight or nine of them. I said, I'm out. This is where I'm getting off, getting out. They all got real quiet. I said, I don't want to be a part of it. Y'all have a good day. I walked out, walked down the stairs and got in the car and told Bonnie, it's over. Let's go. It's just who you are and what you believe. It's not that people want you to be like that, but eventually, in some cases, 25 years later, they respect you for your stand because you never wavered. The stand you took in the beginning, you stayed with it. See, I can't let somebody say, well, this is a new age and there's new things going on now. I'm sure it is a new things going on now. But I'll tell you this. I didn't get here and we haven't stayed together this long because we had nifty things and new ideas about what's next. I have today where I stand. The blessings on my life have been because... This word back 42 or 3 years ago still works. It worked then. It still works today. I have no reason to change that. I have no reason to want something more besides that. If I need something more, the God who brought us through 40 years of living is big enough to show us what's next. We don't need to have elephant rides on Sunday morning. We don't need to get a... Sell cookies and candy bars to buy curtains. We don't need to do that. Some poor soul called on the phone. I usually don't answer, but it was just out of state, and I thought, I'll try it. Sure enough. 
Well, I usually just hang up. Fundraiser for your teenagers. I said, we don't do that. You have teenagers? Yeah. Well, do they do anything? They do a lot. Well, how do you raise money? We don't. We just do it. Okay, thank you. I said, you're welcome. (laughs) What if I told you this morning that at least from my side, and hopefully you too, we're different. We're not like the rest of Christianity. God has narrowed it down for us so that what others maybe are allowed to do, they don't know any better, but we do know better. And he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it's sin. There's things we can't do. There's people we cannot allow in our lives. There's just some things that we do not do. Let me tell you something about associations. Go back again to the Old Testament, Second Chronicles. If you were still in Kings, go to the right two books. Second Chronicles. Chapter 19 and verse 2. Now, Jehoshaphat here is a good man, but he made a bad decision to help a heathen. He said, well, we're a Christian. We're supposed to do that. No, now you listen. Verse 1, And Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned to his house in peace in Jerusalem. And Jehu, or Jehu, the son of Hananiah the seer went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, What a blessing is upon thee because you have won a great victory. That's not what it says. Listen to this, all of you. Shouldest, you got to like that word, shouldest thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? Whew, what do you do with that? What do you do with that this morning? What do you folks out in the world out there do with that? What do we do with it? Does that principle carry over into our life? Or was this just one statement at one time that has no meaning to us today? In other words, as we read this, it doesn't have any meaning for us today. Or does it have meaning for us today? Romans 15.4 says, The things that were written aforetime, and I would assume this was written aforetime, wouldn't you? The things that were written aforetime were written for our learning. That we through patience and hope of the scriptures so forth might have hope or what peace or something. But these things are written for us to learn from. So we read this. Should you help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? We're going to, have to do a lot of discerning here. What was the conclusion of this verse? To Jehoshaphat. He didn't even say, if you'll repent. We'll be all right. What did he just go ahead and say? Therefore, the wrath of God is where? Upon you. He just said, should you help the ungodly and love those that hate the Lord? Therefore, the wrath of God is upon you. And walks off. Maybe. Like that. Who would say such a thing to a king? A prophet. Who has no fear of his world around him. His life belongs to God. If he dies now, then he dies now. But he did what the Lord said to do. He'll have the favor of God in heaven when he gets there. He can't lose. Should you help the ungodly? Deuteronomy 15.5 is something similar to that. But let me ask you this. Can two walk together except they be agreed? That's the question God asked in Amos 3.3. Can two walk together except they be agreed? And he's talking about God with his people. 
And if God gives us His Word and He said, this is the way, walk ye in it, and His people more or less set that aside because they have their own ideas or they have talked themselves into something else, then how do you know He's walking with you? I'm telling you this morning, let me say it again for the 10,000th time in my life, this way is a narrow way. Not everybody's going to embrace it, but the ones that do will make it. It is a very narrow way. Jesus said, a lot of people will find it. No, he didn't. He said, only a few will find it, didn't he? The narrow way. Because we have so many decisions we have to make. So many things that we are going to have to do that's going to put us in a bad light with the world. But that's a test. This is how we prove ourselves. No, nobody likes it. No, it's not fun. No, 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 no for any of those kind of things. But that's the way it works. Let me get real controversial now. What about association of your children with other children in the same church? Can that ever be a bad thing? Easy now. Don't make a noise. What if family A over here doing well, and it doesn't have to, but just say they're doing well. they got more toys, and the kid has their own computer, and a plethora of video games. All kinds of modern, up-to-date toys and monsters and creatures and all of that stuff. Not well-restrained kids. When you see them in church, your mom says, sit down. They just look at it like, I don't have to. You don't want this kind of stuff in your family. I think toys can bring spirits, and some toys do have spirits with them. And I think you can open a door for spiritual attachment to your children like that. Parents, let's say you're trying very hard to keep a clean house and to make your children mine and respect you and honor you, and you're working at this. You take very seriously your role as a father and a mom and raising your children up so they can be the little Samuels and be given to the Lord in His service. Now, this child over here wants your children to come spend the night with them. Will you let them? What if you see the kids in the church that sass, that never have to mind, don't do anything right? They want your kid to come spend the night with them. Would you let them? Because if you don't, the parent says, well, why can't they come? What are you going to tell them? Are you going to say, well, because you know it's going to be a controversial thing, isn't it? Some people are better with words than maybe I would be about why they're not coming. You could always say, hopefully, well, they got school tomorrow or we're going somewhere in the morning or tonight or whatever, and they don't have to go. But it'll be another day. They'll be invited to come over. If the father or the, the mother comes over and says, well, why can't your children play with mine or why don't you let them come over? You might have to say, well, we don't approve of some of the toys that your child plays with. Oh, so uh, what's wrong with our toys? Now you got a problem, see. We shouldn't have this problem. If people were more sensitive and more discerning, we wouldn't have this problem. I wouldn't want my little girl playing with Barbie dolls. Childhood is not about being a little adult. Childhood is hiding in the woods and playing with sticks and boxes out in the yard and paper dolls or whatever you want, color. I saw this little scene the other night on a TV about little girls in a... Beauty contest, dressed up like Miss America. Little things. Pretty little girls with lipstick and makeup on them and all prissy. That's not what childhood's about. 
That's not what childhood's about. They ought to have dirt on their face playing with something or making a cake and getting it all over the kitchen or something. That shows you how little I know about what girls do. <laughs> I'm just saying that childhood is for fun and play. They don't have little Mr. America contests where they paint little muscles on little boys that go out and do that. No. Little boys are running in the woods with a stick, killing snakes, laughing at dumb stuff. They're kids. I mean, they're just little boys and girls. I wouldn't want a child of mine coming to somebody's house and all they're going to do is play video games. I wouldn't allow this. I know there might be. I'm going to give everybody a break. There might be a video game that has a degree of kind of merit. That's as little as I could make it. A kind of a merit. You know, a merit's a little good. But all the rest of that stuff, you know what it does? It just takes up time. It's like people who can't get away from the computer. You can Google for hours. See, I've already got Google. But I guarantee you I found out where the off switch is. That upper right-hand corner says bye-bye. But you can spend so much time doing so much you don't need to be doing. Looking at stuff you don't need and buying stuff you don't need. I don't want kids having their own access to that stuff and some teenage boy looking at porn. He shouldn't be looking at porn. You're not ready for that. You should never be ready for that. You don't need to have those kind of thoughts in your mind and that kind of a picture in your mind. You don't need to go around thinking that's okay or normal. That's not right. I don't want my kids being influenced by people who think like that. I know it creates trouble in the church with parents. I know it does, and I know that it's a difficulty of consternation. Kids get to watch TV without parental oversight, and they might be watching stuff that they shouldn't be watching. Why is it today that so many toys... And so much of what's popular is some space invader. A car drives up the street and then all of a sudden, and it turns into a big thing that's got claws and growls and fire comes out of its mouth. A monster. Why is that such a big deal with kids today? They get on video games and here they come, kill that sucker. Is something wrong with this? And his parents don't have enough courage to take it away from them. They can't. Can you imagine being a parent and a kid rule and control you? And you bring that kind of trash into your family? My goodness gracious, folks. We're Christians. We should be discerning. We should say no to this and no to that and get this right and rule that out. We should be like that. I don't want my children in that kind of an environment. I don't think you would either, but I don't think parents should let it come to that. Wouldn't it be nice if a parent said, well, what's wrong with your child coming over to my child's house? And you said, well, can I talk to you? You said, well, of course. Yeah. (laughs) You said, well, I believe that the kind of toys your kids play with open a door to the wrong kind of attitude about life and about people and things and property. And I don't think my little girl needs to envision herself as some little skinny doll and just so pretty. I don't think we need that influence in her life. I really don't want that. Wouldn't it be nice if the father said, 
Well, I never thought of it like that before. You might be right. I'm going to go home and deal with it. I think Christians should be able to have that kind of an attitude. Instead of saying, well, I just do you. But I think that's the way it should be. I don't know about associations with everybody, but I know that it's very difficult to associate with touchy and sensitive people. People who take things you say wrong. I still remember one night of prayer meeting, a bunch of us men back in years ago in Charlestown, we were praying one night and we prayed for something we were glad about and kind of laughed. And one of the fellows the next day quit talking to us because he said, you all were laughing at me last night. I said, I don't even think you were even in our thought. Yeah, you were. Yeah, you were. You were talking about me. You knew this. How many of you know you can't fellowship with people like that? I mean, they're Christians, they're brothers or they're sisters, and they take everything you say, and you're talking about them or you're talking about their children or something. It's hard to have fellowship with people like that. They're so sensitive. They draw in and they're combative. Shouldn't be like that. Who makes us like that? Why do people get like that? i tell you something else I would avoid. I would avoid angry people. People that you have to be so careful of everything you say because they get mad so easy. Oh, and they want to do this and do that. Have you ever seen an angry man that's peaceful? Can you imagine walking into a prison today full of men that are guilty of so many bad crimes? They're so mean. They're so... You know, they want to be tough. And You ever seen one that was full of joy and peace? There isn't any. It doesn't belong there. They can't have that. They're all angry. I look at these kids today that are driving around with a scowl on their face. They're all mad. They're angry. Maybe the way they're raised or a spirit of this age, they're just angry. You don't gain anything by saying, what are you looking at? Well, he's looking at you. Just turn my head. Well, you chicken, no. Chicken ain't got nothing to do with this. It's harder for me to live the life I am than it is for him to live the life he's living because to live the way he lives, he doesn't have to do nothing. I've got to do everything. I've got to turn my head, turn my cheek, shut my eyes, bow my head, let them beat my back and steal my stuff. My life is tough. But oh, the joy and the peace that is in it. Second thing we'll do this briefly is a loss of blessings. You'll be corrupted and you're going to lose your blessings. Turn to Psalms 1. Psalms 1. Blessed. What a wonderful psalm. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Does he separate himself? Would you say this man has discerned what it means to be ungodly or a sinner or scornful. He's located the character of these kind of people in society, and he does not have anything to do with them. And this is a blessing. In verse 2, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers, in verse 3, by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Don't you want that? Shouldn't that be our testimony? Come on. That will not be our testimony unless verse 1 is our testimony. You're going to have to make some decisions. We can do verse 3 if we do verse 1. But look at what he said in verse 4. The ungodly are not so. 
They're like the chaff which the wind will drive away. They can't stand. You're supposed to, but they can't. The ungodly will not stand in the judgment. When God is blessing His people, they won't be there. In verse 6, He said, For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. If the people that want to be your association, be your associates, are ungodly people, eventually they will corrupt you. And chances are, instead of having that wonderful looking forward to of heaven, you might be dreading what's coming, that day of judgment. Because I think a lot of people are not going to make it. Let me close with this. Turn to Proverbs 29. Proverbs chapter 29, the next book to the right. If you're new in this, not familiar, Proverbs 29 and verse 27. Why would anybody unspiritual want to run with you? Why would a non-Christian single you out to be their friend? I'm not saying they couldn't come and talk to you. You can lead them to the Lord. You could talk to them about Jesus, couldn't you? So there's nothing wrong with that. But if they don't want to hear about Jesus, then we're done. Because of the effects of bad influence here. But notice what he said in verse 27 of chapter 29. An unjust man is an abomination to the just. Is that right? Well, it has to be right because the Bible says it. And he that is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. Now, you may love a lost person whom you want to see saved. You'd be praying for them. But they don't like what you believe. And they won't until they get saved. Because to the world out there, you're an abomination. And to the world out there, the unjust and all their unrighteous behavior is an abomination to you. And the reason we separate is because of that. That's our principle. An unjust man is an abomination to the just, and he that is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. This is why separation exists and why the world hates us. Right there. That's either true or it's not true. Now, I choose to believe it's true because the Bible says it's true. Back to our text, John 8 and verse 31. If you continue in my word, let's say this is his word. If you continue this way, you'll be my disciple. And you'll know the truth especially about what's right and wrong, what's bad counsel, unjust, wicked. You'll see it, and you'll avoid it, stay away from it, accept a witness to it. And when you do, you'll be blessed. And if you don't, you'll lose your blessing. Why would I want to forfeit what belongs to me? Because I would rather have your favor. I would rather be rejected and scorned by the world, which Jesus said you're going to be anyway. John 7, John 15, he said the world's going to hate you. You will take a stand before it's over, or you will give up your stand. But you will take a stand. And they'll gnash their teeth at you. And the day is probably here now. I'm seeing bits and pieces of it forever, but it's here now. I want it to be like the psalmist said, For the eyes of the Lord shall be upon the faithful of the land, and they shall dwell with me. He that walks in a perfect way, he shall serve me. Psalm 101, verse 6. I just want to challenge all of you. Listen to what you've heard. Think about it. Examine yourself. Measure yourself by the Word. 
Let the plumb bob of God's Word hang straight in the midst of your life and see if you're straight with it. And then make a decision. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for your long-suffering towards us. We thank you for your tolerance of us. And sometimes we drag our feet and we're slow, Lord, to listen. But I ask you in the name of Jesus to continue to love us as you began loving us. That you would lead us and guide us continually to this perfect way. I pray that the people before whom I'm standing this morning will never perish but that the effect of your Spirit upon their lives will cause them all to be saved. And those that are slidden backwards, that you'll reclaim them. It just takes a decision, Lord, a decision of courage. I ask you in the name of Jesus to continue to love us and deal with us as your children and bring us into that place where the sun never sets on peace and joy and that we can have that testimony every day of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.